And so what I wanted to do was to honor a deeper, more thoughtful operating system approach, whereas here's 10 things that you can do and understand them that's very accessible, that will absolutely create change. We recommend people get good at loving things and accepting things just as they are, instead of trying to ride over them and change them. And that energy being vested in the world echoes and it reframes and, re and when it comes back to you, that return feels like luck to a lot of people, but it's a manifestation outcome of a certain set of behaviors. I am so excited about this episode. Gay Hendricks here. And in this episode, we talk about a subject that's very dear to my heart, which is how do we get luckier? You've probably seen my book, Conscious Luck, about that subject, but we have a new author, an author with a new book, Stuart Lacey, who has a whole different way of looking at it, but some ways that we really cross uh, track and synergize with each other about this subject. And one of the things that I love about this, so first of all, um, Stuart's book is called The Formula for Luck, Leave Nothing to Chance, 10 Powerful Principles for Building a Luck Mindset. Now, of course, gaze is conscious luck, eight secrets to intentionally change your fortune. What I loved about this particular show is each of them have a point of view. For the most part, they're 100% aligned, but their approaches are different. What I can tell you, this is a great multiplier episode. So if you wanna learn how they actually intentionally create luck in their lives, that's one of the things. And I also share my approach, what I've been using to manifest using dreams and also emotions and words. So Stuart, how about you? Well, you know, I, I couldn't be happier about what this episode allowed us to be able to share with, uh, with the listener. Really for me, I think we key into not just the more tactical ways that you can really make change in your life, but also some of the choices you can make about how you live your life, how you open yourself up and what that means in a forced multiplier way about how you can actually manifest the outcomes you want. I think it's important to understand that this is accessible and making stuff accessible is what, you know, the big leap is all about is how do I actually grab hold of something and apply it in such a way that I can make my life better. And this episode is clear that there are both ways that gay frames and I frame that actually compound and support each other and kind of riff off each other in such a way that the outcomes could be significantly valuable for anyone who's gonna take the time. So, fabulous episode. All right, and one of the best things is you're gonna walk away, there is one word that will determine whether or not you are or aren't lucky, and it's I blank it. And if you know that word, it'll make you luckier. So make sure you dive in, and I promise you will enjoy this episode. Thanks for being here. I'm here with uh, two of my favorite people, Gay Hendricks, of course, but also Stuart Lacey. We know each other from Summit Series, but also YPO. Uh, you're one of the geniuses who put together the YPO AI event that took place at MIT's Media Lab. But what brought us here together is the thing that both of you have in common, other than some recent uh, uh, operations. But you wrote a book called The Formula for Luck, Leave Nothing to Chance, 10 Powerful Principles for Building a Luck Mindset. And it also what has a foreword written by Salim Ishmael, which is a story upon itself. But part of the reason I wanted to bring you two together is because, of course, Gay 
wrote a book on luck too. We've done multiple podcasts on this, but I might begin this and say, well, first of all, say hi guys. And then I'm going to ask the opening question. Hi guys, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Great to see you all. So here's the best way to get this thing rolling because I want to ask Gay the same question, which is, Stuart, why did you write this book and why is luck so important to you? Uh, well, great question. And thank you uh, for your time today. So excited to be with both of you, Mike and Gay. So love the kickoff question. You know, for me, my life has definitely been trials and tribulations. You know, one of those make a lot of money at a very young age and then develop some bad habits and lose it all. And then as I rebuilt, I, I look back on my life, to be honest, I really tried to figure out what were these operating principles that had served me so well prior to like in that journey that it then ultimately maybe when I maybe left them behind for a short while when I was all wealthy and extravagant, if you will, led to my decline. And so I, I, I tried to map through Mike, what those look like. And what I realized is that there'd been a series of um, life circumstances, stories, and scenarios which I developed certain operating behaviors and rhythms from a very young age, which were different from the majority of people. Mostly in response to a heavy amount of bullying as a kid and not wanting to fight back as a bully, I started to develop other ways to try and connect with people or diffuse situations, change behaviors. And I applied those very successfully at a young age. And then again, in kind of my second mountain. And so many people, including finally the editor of Inc. Magazine, Kevin Dom, who I did a lot of work with, with one of my um, tech startups, finally said, Stuart, I care from everyone that you're one of the luckiest guys we've ever met. Would you unpack it with me? I said, sure. And he said, do you have a recipe for luck? And I inadvertently responded immediately and said, no, my, you know, it's more of a formula for luck. And that started the article and then Forbes asked me to write the book. And I literally unpacked this mindset and wanted to get it on paper so that I could pay it forward. So that was kind of my genesis story. That's good. Well, Gay, you of course wrote Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. Um, just for the framing, the sake of this conversation, what caused you to write that book? Why was it so important to you? Because we've talked about this plenty, but I think it's good to have it all in one place. Well, all of my books, going back to the very first one I wrote, which is now 48 years ago, almost 50 years ago, uh, they all have to do with helping empower people to develop and manifest some skill that'll be useful to them in life. Like Katie and I have written a series of relationship books, which is basically the principles and practices of what will make a successful relationship. Well, when I was 14, I heard a brand new way of thinking from a, a kid that was very lucky. He won a prize on a day that there was couple of hundred people in the audience and I was sitting next to him and they were having a drawing and he said watch this I'll win one of the three prizes it turned out he won the number one prize and uh, you know I didn't win anything my ticket was in the same fishbowl his was and he got picked out and I said well how did you do that and he says it's really easy he said I just one day decided that I was going to be one of what he called the lucky ones and he said he looked around his family and he saw them talking all the time about how bad things were and they were always predicting doom, you know, and that kind of thing. And then he had a, I think it was an uncle who 
was just the complete opposite. He considered himself the luckiest man in the world and good things happened to him. And so this kid I was sitting next to, um, he said he had decided to adopt that mindset. Well, he didn't say the word mindset, you know, that was to come. But he said, basically, that was what he was talking about. He installed this new way of thinking. And I decided on the spot that I was going to do it, too. And then I had an event happen right after that, the next couple of days, where I found this um, a bag full of rare coins on the street and was able to return them to the man who owned them. And I made the front page of the paper in Leesburg, Florida, because I was the kid that returned the $5,000 worth of uh, coins and didn't take any of them or anything like that. So anyway, I was a hero for a day. And But that let me know that you could make changes in your life just by rearranging the thought molecules in your mind. And I didn't know at the time, but William James, the granddaddy of American psychology in the 19th century, he said the greatest discovery of his time was that you could change the outer circumstances of your life by making inner mental changes. And so um, later on, I would learn all that kind of stuff when I started reading uh, books about manifestation and things, but that was later to come. So uh, it took me uh, six months to write Conscious Luck, but I've been thinking about it for, uh, you know, since I was 14 years old. And I'd been gradually collecting what I thought were principles that fed into lucky people. And I would, you know, talk to dozens of people and say, you're an incredibly lucky person. What do you think makes you so? And surprisingly enough, people are very thoughtful about that if you ask them the right kind of question. And I imagine, Stuart, you found the same thing, that people were quite willing to share what, what they knew about their own luck um, because they weren't trying to keep it a secret or anything, just nobody had ever asked them. And so uh, that's how I got a lot of my own information. And also, I've come to feel that there's certain general principles about how life itself works. And if we honor those principles and stay in harmony with them, then things happen all the time that look like great luck, but they're, they're just the sequelae of a change in your thought process. That's that's good. So I, I thought of one more important question because I would suspect that you guys both agree on and probably have arrived at a lot of similar conclusions, but I'd be curious, what isn't luck? So I'm I'm looking for an area where you might have a heated disagreement or a uh, uh, not agree on what luck is or how to manifest it. Because for you, um, Stuart, you know, you talk about the formula for luck and uh, the process of building a luck mindset. Um, and you started out right away about habits, behaviors, actions. And one thing I know about Gay is he just decides to make it so. So um, I wouldn't say that the distinction is there's a mindset difference, but I hear a little more process through your lens. And one thing I know about Gay is he just shows up. And he, he makes it so, you know, it's sort of like he just assumes that the universe is going to follow his direction. And I've watched it before. Like I've witnessed some insanely lucky things because he just wills it into being. And um, 
you know, he and Ariel Ford are two people who just profoundly command the universe to bend to their wills. Um, they're fascinating people to be around. But what shows up for you when you hear that? Well, it's it's a great question. And um, and so let me start with, I'd love to talk about luck mindset a little bit later, because I think we do have some unpacking there. But on this question specifically, Mike, and it's a great one, let me start with luck is not chance, in my view. Okay. And let me mention, you know, one of the top 10 books on most CEOs shelves um, is Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, right? And in mm-hmm. that book, which was turned into a movie, is very much a manifestation kind of mindset. Think of it and it will happen. And I can tell you it's a great book. And for a lot of people, they love it. But many people have found it difficult to wield or apply. I think some people like, if I think of a big bag of money tomorrow, will it show up at my doorstep or not? And so what I wanted to do was to honor a deeper, more thoughtful operating system approach, whereas here's 10 things that you can do and understand them that's very accessible, that will absolutely create change in order to complement potentially what Gay has talked about or what Napoleon Hill talked about, but a very accessible manual to do it. And what I mean by that is the following. Luck is um, is not chance. I mean, chance is odds. Odds are things you can find at um, Vegas. You know, the best odds are craps at 40, you know, 8.9%. Um, you can improve your odds, you can decrease your odds, but if you think of luck as odds, you bring yourself, unfortunately, not to the full idea of what a luck mindset is, you rather stay close to what a growth mindset is. And a growth mindset, which is Carol Dweck's amazing seminal work, but 20 years old, stops at this concept that the harder you work, the lucky you are, the better you are. And whilst true, it's anecdotal at best, because unfortunately, the world is full of incredibly hardworking people that aren't lucky. So how do you define that? How do you how do you define Michael Phelps, which is genetically a dolphin and swims, you know, a thousand hours versus someone that, you know, swims 5,000 hours, maybe is genetically a dolphin, but didn't. And why is Subway Girl in the New York City subways still busking after playing for 20,000 hours? Like, what are the breaks? What are the changes? I also view luck as positive and negative. And I'd love Gay's comment on that because luck can transpire both for and against you. And, um, you know, flow states, which we studied a lot of and I speak about in the book, speak to this concept of, of, of continued manifestation. And for example, if you are, Mike, in a club and uh, smoke billows across the roof and you go charging for the exits like everyone else, that choice in that moment could lead to your demise because more lives are lost in the stampede to the exit than the actual fire. In fact, my question would be, why didn't you slowly turn around and walk to the kitchen? Why? Well, there's a door in every kitchen to the outside. So how you respond can both magnify both positively and negatively your luck. So I look at luck in a series of very thoughtful ways to help people understand what behaviors and actions and habits they can generate and how those decisions can both amplify and reduce their outcomes in any specific situation. And then I try and apply that in a very easy to access kind of workbook framework with exercises so people can hopefully improve upon it. Uh, could you give us an example, uh, Stuart, of um, one practical thing that you suggest in the book? Yeah, so a great question there. And if I use that example of um, being in that moment, in that um, fire, if you will, smoke billowing, or you know, we've worked with people that have heard this, the popping sound and, and then afterwards they go, I didn't realize it was gunfire. I mean, how often do you have to hear that, you know, that sound of popping is probably not a car backfiring. It could be. So how do you respond 
in a situation, Gay, where you might be at an airport or you know on a tube train and you're concerned about your well-being and safety. And one of the things that we coach people to do is to follow something, for example, called the OODA loop, the O-O-D-A loop, which we talk about in the book, which starts with observe, orient, decide, act. Most people act immediately. So in the chapter that I write about on situational awareness, we talk about this concept of rather than knee-jerk acting, which is rushing, you stop immediately and you observe what's going on very rapidly, orient, what's my position within what I've now observed, you then make a decision and then you act. And you can do that in seconds when well-trained or thought of, but the outcome can change your life. And so that's just one of many, many, many exercises and, and practical applications. Um, if you want more, I can chat you know, you know later about them, but that's an example using the use case I just shared with you, how a small, quick process can actually dramatically change the outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, in Conscious Luck, uh, one of the things we talk about is kind of metaphysical, which is in the sense of an alignment. If you go to some links to get aligned inside yourself, your luck typically changes. And yeah. um, so that's an inner move. Uh, but then I also suggest a lot of outer moves, very practical things you write down and things like that. So um, could you give us an example also of, of one of the inner kinds of things that uh, feeds your work? Are there inner shifts that people need to make? Yeah, so I'll 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 give two quick examples to help flesh it out. Like one comes from the world of um, failing forward, which is the chapter on action, which is how quickly we recover. And in that chapter, I work with Barbara Corcoran, you know, the famous gal from the Shark Tank, and she's the most spectacular failure of all time. She's failed more often than anyone, she says, and she's phenomenally fun and entertaining to work with. And her basically bottom line comment is the difference between success and failure are those people that recover quicker, i.e. how long do you feel sorry for yourself after your failure? That's the biggest decider, she says, period. And so that choice of feeling sorry for yourself, that inward facing critic, that, that I never should have done that, that I knew better, that kind of that, that um, limiting belief, I can't do it again, the length at which you take, the way that which you process that, the longer it takes, the less quick you can respond and more likely you're not gonna be able to get back on your feet. So that's an example from the fail forward side of it. Another one I think is really empathy. Um, and that's a different chapter and a different habit that we can form. And I think the way that I look at that is, um, you know, there's some phenomenal people to learn from in empathy. And one of the people I worked with his closest friend is the Dalai Lama. So he's probably well-informed and works with the Dalai very closely. But one of the things I think is more energistic if I might, and maybe that speaks closer to your thought, Gay, which is if you think about taking a tennis ball and throwing it at a wall and the wall's 180 degrees, it's gonna bounce right back to you. So a lot of people live their lives, like if I put energy out, I expect an energy return, right? That's a very, if you will, New Yorker style, like, hey, what's in it for me? What's in it for you? The transactional kind of stuff, right? Which is very much a growth mindset approach. I believe very differently. I believe that the walls out there are every degree but 180. They're 45 and everything. And when you throw that ball, it's going to go sideways. But that's good. Why? Because it's a pay it forward approach. I believe we should be investing our energy in the things that are meaningful and impactful and beautiful for other human beings' experiences, irrespective of our immediate return. Because what I know, and I think this goes closer to where you're coming from, that energy being invested in the world 
echoes and it reframes and re, and when it comes back to you, it's kind of that return of energy, but not because you asked for it in return, but because of the net energy you're putting back into the world, framing and nurturing and nourishing the people around you, which ultimately through connection or serendipity, other areas that I've explored, that return feels like luck to a lot of people, but it's a manifestation outcome of a certain set of behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree very much with that. Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot is um, getting back to the subject of alignment, finding every level of alignment you possibly can, like are you aligned with your emotions? Is your speaking aligned with what's actually going on? And are you aligned with your life purpose? Do you know what you're up to? And because it seems to me that like early in my life, um, when I wasn't manifesting very good luck during my 20s, I was still manifesting things. It was just I was manifesting things out of a negative set of beliefs. Like yeah. I was overweight, I smoked heavily and was in a crappy relationship. Um, and all of those, now that I look back on it, were based on some very core beliefs about I didn't believe that I deserved to be here. I didn't believe that I deserved to be successful. And I thought I was just putting in my time here. And unfortunately, I had a big wake-up event in my 20s where I I saw how I was creating all that, and I decided to turn my power toward manifesting what I did want instead of uh, what I didn't want. And we go through three stages in our training when we teach manifestation. Uh, the first level is we call the uh, the Newtonian level, uh, based on Isaac Newton's work about for every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. And so all the things that are like affirmations or visualizations, those would, um, I think they're very important, but they're in an early stage we call Newtonian because they're all based on the idea that if I put out a certain something, a certain something is going to come back. And most people discover that that's a lot more harder than it looks when they read it in the book because of the the wall problem that you mentioned, that none of the walls are 180 degrees. Um, But then we move into a second stage. We call that the Einsteinian stage, where you're actually manifesting things to you based on what you need to know or feel or be in order to move on to a new level. And so, for example, we tend to, in the Einsteinian stage, solve a lot of problems instead of by visualization or affirmation. We recommend people get good at loving things and accepting things just as they are instead of trying to ride over them and change them and uh, coming to harmony with what's going on actually rather than trying to convince yourself or the universe otherwise ultimately we call the third stage literally the third way and it's when you've gone beyond both of those and then things just seem to happen organically and spontaneously that just kind of support what you want to do. You're not asking for it. You're not needing to do any inner work. Just things start kind of supporting you. And I, um, to me, that's, that's really worth putting in the work to get to that stage because then 
what you're doing in the third way is simply working on enhancing your ability to receive. Receiving love, receiving luck, receiving good information, receiving good people into your life. So it, it makes life much simpler in a way. It's like we have to go through some levels of complexity in order to get to a place where things can be very, very simple. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And funny enough, Mike, you and I recently chatted a little bit about this, but we did a lot of work when we were writing the book on the neuroscience of luck. Mm. In that mm -hmm. we studied flow states, which is a super current idea of like, how do some people, you know, gay in the morning, stub their toe? And from that moment, the whole day is a cascade of terrible things, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or other people start off and they, there's a bluebird outside and it sets their day off. Like what creates that compounding up or the compounding down? What's most interesting is if you look at from a neuroscience perspective, which we map a little bit into our positivity chapter, we are really good at establishing and carrying that energy from a prior state. So for example, the, the tank in the car has got half the amount of gas in it that it can. If you're in a negative flow state, you feel like you're running out of gas. If you're in a positive flow state, you're thankful you have a half tank. You can look at almost anything based on an, a decision framework, but the actual circumstance isn't different. It's just how you're looking at it. And the, we actually mapped it to dream work, interestingly enough, and people that can wake up from dreams have the ability to actually reset from something they're not enjoying to actually say, no, that dream's not working. I'm going to wake myself up. And those people are much more successful at getting positive flow states because they're able to intervene with the negative flow state that they might be in and reset the energy. And so I think you're absolutely right that when you look at it from a um, from an energistic or even a neuroscience perspective, and I'm not a doctor, you know, of psychiatry like yourself, but the people we worked with, a lot of them collaborated to try and identify what can we actually control, right? And I think that's where my book is more of a, a kind of a manual to help people get meaningful steps. That's a way that I want. I want it to be very accessible, like flip to a chapter anytime you want. And in the neuroscience, we're helping people understand that there's more under your control than you believe, but part of it is exactly what you discussed, is setting yourself up for that level of success, getting your radar band out further so you can be aware of the good stuff, because some people are too much caught up. They're not able to see the opportunity. And that's where that question of, you know, luck equals you know opportunity and, and action, I think it's way more complicated because some people are too closed off you know, gay, to be able to actually bear witness to what's happening and then act on. Yes. I've got a little, well, oh, go ahead, gay. Well, one of the sayings we use around here comes from a musician friend of ours named Ray Wiley Hubbard. He says, on the days when my gratitude is higher than my expectations, I have really good days. And it mm -hmm. speaks to uh, an Einsteinian point about being grateful for what you have as a launch pad to manifesting what you want, because the uh, the energy that goes into not liking where you are instead of accepting and appreciating is the energy that you will need to actually go to yeah. the next level. Yeah, Mike, I know you have a question. I just want to double click on that for a yeah. second if I can. I think I think what the listener really needs, in my view, and I'm, I would I would think Gay would probably agree, is to understand the difference between the use cases. For example, mm -hmm. if you stop at a gas station and you buy a, a scratchy, which is like for lottery, and there's rows of 10 by 10, there's a one in 100 chance to scratch something. 
in my opinion, no matter how hard in that moment you think about it, try and manifest it. If you scratch one, it's a one in a hundred chance. Like I don't see that and I don't guide people that that's a good use of their manifestation energy. I worry that they're going to misunderstand. However, if your plane is diverted and you're at an airport and you're in line and there's 150 people trying to get 10 seats and you choose how you want to show up with that poor lady behind or man behind the desk that's had the worst day, that's trying to help everyone and you show up, you can choose in that moment how you show up. You can choose to be kind, empathetic, supportive. Mm -hmm. You can choose to be understanding. Or you can choose to be angry and vindictive and throw your your gold toss at them. And all those things are within your control. And where you can really see massive change in your outcomes, when you can apply yourself in areas where your decisions actually have significant change in the other side of the equation. And I want people to understand that that, that's where the force multiplier I've always found comes from, rather than from trying to beat the odds, which is a tough thing to do. Exactly. And uh, yes, go ahead, Mike. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to pivot this just a little bit, which is the approach to luck. So I'm going to tell you what I've done to some degree, as long as I can remember, but it changed to be conscious because I found that framing other people and giving them a process to get into a a luck mindset is super important. So Gay, I've told you bits about this before, but I'm going to give you a formula that I've used and I'd like you each to comment on your formula, your approach. So I'm going to just share this, which is um, like for me, I very consciously manifest luck. So I get clear on how I want to feel. So I really find when this happens, what emotion do I want to feel? And if I were going to describe it as a word or a phrase, what would that be? And then I, I, I live in it. And oftentimes luck for me involves what will happen with other people. So it's not just about me. It's what will happen as a collective. So I imagine what kind of people might need to be around me for that to happen. And to me, it sort of multiplies the chances of something occurring. You know, it's sort of like sometimes you're a phone call away from making something magnificent happen and all you need is that connection. So I, I just think that your brain just creates opportunities for something to happen when you're conscious of what those happen to be. They're multipliers. So anyway, the other thing I do is I always did this with stage presentations and performances because to me, those are dream multipliers because if you declare something, they happen. So here's a here's a real life case study. I was speaking at Peter Diamandis' on AI and Vivian and I decided we we're going to go to Spain and... Um, there is a, a very famous um, Spanish chef. His name will pop into my head in a moment, but he uh, he owns these restaurants all over Spain. And I saw this. He has a TV show. And um, we watched this television show. And again, I'm going to find the name of the guy. Uh, it's going to drive me nuts. But um, Jose Andres, that's what it is. Jose yeah, Andres. World family. Kitchen. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. So yeah. there was this TV series. And what I did is I created a, a whole plan of all, all of his restaurants that are from the show. And I made a list of it. 
And then I'm like, oh, yeah, well, let's make reservations there. And I thought that's going to take weeks, you know, just to get all their contact info. So I used AI to build the whole itinerary. I was speaking at Peter's and I said, hey, I used AI to create a dream vacation. So I showed this thing on screen. And during a break, a guy walked up to me and he said, Jose Andres is my business partner. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm partners in almost all of his Michelin star rated restaurants. And if you'll come to Spain as my guest, I will make sure you get into all of them. And, <laughs> and the whole point is it was like this little magical moment. And uh, we ended up be building this beautiful friendship. And I didn't know it at the time, but this guy's a multi-billionaire on top of it, one of, you know, very, very wealthy families. So we had way beyond the velvet rope experience. Now I'm saying that because um, I dreamed it. It it involved a person because I think luck can be a lonely place um, if you t- if you go about it alone. And I noticed that when I started practicing this, I started being able to fly in my dreams. Like in a lot of my dreams, I fly intentionally, and like I taught myself how to fly in them. And I know what that feels like even in my present moment. So I really think that. Luck is uh, is matching and connecting your dreams with your conscious life and letting them blend and um, feeling the just make it so. So it's not wishing. There's a difference between dreaming and wishing. I wish this would happen. I don't think that's very intentional at all. It doesn't multiply the luck. But I just gave you my formula um, and I teach this, you know, when I do some of my work, I say, what's the feeling? What's the emotion you want to feel when this is true? But what's what's your formula for manifesting? What's your formula for creating? Or do you have a completely different approach? Um, well, a formula that we use here is F-A-C-T. Um, and F stands for facing. A stands for accepting. C stands for choosing. And T stands for taking action. And the reason people, when they say, I wish I had a new Ferrari, it's based on a deep belief that they don't deserve that or uh, don't have the capacity to receive that in some Mm -hmm. way. And so what we try to do is get underneath and help the person come to terms with whatever they need to face that they have not yet faced and to accept and love that, then they can choose and take action on top of a kind of a clear space rather than a space that's directed by old fears or ego needs or things like that. Stuart? Well, um, my book is called The Formula for Luck. So there are 10 things divided into three areas. Um, You know, uh, the first set are our behaviors, right? And the behaviors are curiosity, passion, connectivity, positivity, and empathy. Why their behaviors is they're infinite, meaning we can work them like muscles and develop all those infinitely. But they're not levers, okay? There are three um, behaviors. Uh, and behaviors are systemic. Think about that, that there's action and reaction. They don't, you can't always work on them because they're not always present in the system. When then they are, you act in them, but their power is exponential. And those are adaptability, situational awareness, and serendipity. So those three are the big levers with which you recognize and work with them. You can have massive benefit, or if you get them wrong, significant disbenefit. And then the two actions, choice and fail forward. And the reason I answer that is 
I think whilst you could spend a lot of time learning and reading and being curious, you could spend a lot of time becoming passionate and aligned with what you care about and dis distributing that energy into the world. You can connect well with people, meaning that you're working with, you know, um, social proofs and super connectors and getting yourself on stages where you can amplify that energy to your point, Mike. Um, you can be positive, which means that your ability to rally and your general outlook and all the positivity and what happens neurogenically and from your hormones and 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 the uh, glands you can be empathetic which is how you show up how you care how you receive but other people all of those and we have practices how to do those well i think the bigger three adaptability situational awareness and serendipity are the big three those are the big ones and serendipity being something from the story of the three princesses serendip which is actually where luck originally came from. And that's a story about mm. applying sagacious wisdom and curiosity. And what that means is effectively, we tend to spend our lives thinking that stuff happens and we go, oh, that's serendipitous. And it's actually not. There's actually a way to unpack how serendipity happens. And there are people that can lean in and push through. And there are people that bail quickly. And there are people that follow their gut. And there are, there are actual tactics and techniques you can follow to significantly amplify to get on the right side of each of these things. For example, in adaptability, a lot of people get pot committed. You know, I interviewed uh, David Brashears who summited Everest six times, including with the IMAX camera. And he was up there when that tremendous loss of life occurred on the peak of Everest that John Krakow wrote into thin air about. And two professional climbing teams continued to summit from summit camp when he turned around. And he turned around because the storm was coming and it was gonna be a bad outcome. But the other two teams had paid attendees with a guide that were so committed to owning something that one time they couldn't turn back. And it resulted in the largest single loss of life on Everest because they were part committed a gambling analogy of having too much at stake to be able to then back away. And so I think those three fundamentally are the big levers in our, in, in, in my formula, but then absolutely in echoing what Gay said, choice and fail forward, you have to act. Right. The failure to act is is equal to a zero. And so those are actually binary. And so if anyone you knows math, there's actually a formula in the formula for luck. And if you multiply any formula by zero, what do you get? Zero. zero. So the failure to act is effectively applying the rest of the formula multiplying by zero because nothing happens. The ability mm -hmm. to fail forward is the ability to regenerate and try the formula again, multiplying it more often by one each time, if you think of it that way. And what's really interesting about that is it gives a lot of domain power to be able to actually change your outcomes and a lot of prescriptive ways in which to do it, which I really love about how the formula is constructed. So the ability to lean into behaviors and sorry, the habits and build them like muscles and grow them your entire life. The three things you really got to look out for that are massive levers to change positively and negatively. And then the importance of acting and continuing to try. And the only thing I would say on top of that and one superpower, and you have it, Mike, and we talk about it, is choice is not just acting, but it's asking or asking. And mm -hmm. there are so many incredible stories of people that just had the gumption or the chutzpah, whatever the word is, to just ask, and they get it. And it's an incredible enabler in so many stories that people don't actually, aren't that comfortable. Like the girl across the, the high school uh, dance floor, the prettiest girl, more often than not, she's there alone because too many people are shy to even ask her, right? And you could have multiple, multiple examples where people, like 
I remember being at a, a ski destination at Deer Valley and there wasn't a single parking spot in the valley. It just snowed. Alta and Snowbird were closed. There was not a parking spot anywhere. And everyone was self-defeatist. We can't ski. And I said, you know what? I'm going to drive to the ritziest, most high-end resort on the hill. I pulled into their, their, their main foyer. I went right to the manager and I introduced myself and I said, sir, my name's Stuart Lacey. Really sorry to bother you, but I'm here from Bermuda. There's not a parking lot in the valley and I don't want to pirate your your parking lot would you mind if i just parked for the day so i could ski with my friends he said you know what we have people parking this all day long we tell every one of them you're the first person into your system <laughs> he said not only can you park there but our members have lunch have lunch on us and enjoy your day skiing and that was just for asking right which is an amazing yeah. lucky outcome but not mm-hmm. anything more than feeling comfortable asking so those are a couple of things that i try to prescriptively help guide people towards that's really good. So, Gay, I know you've got a comment, and then I've got a kind of a trigger amplifier plus here that I want to ask about. Go for it. Yeah, well, a lot of the things that Stuart was just saying uh, reminded me of one of our key principles, which we've learned from a lot of great executives, um, which is we call it openness to learning. See, a lot of people, when they're presented with a situation, get defensive defending something down in there that they think needs defending and they lose the opportunity to learn something in the moment. And so I've found an incredible amount of luck follows greater openness to learning, being able to say, Mm -hmm. hmm, what's the message here? Rather than why is the universe doing this to me? 100%, yeah. Ah, well, this is a perfect bridge <clears throat> because um, in Wayne Dyer's book, Manifest Your Destiny, and I always loved Wayne. I found him to be one of the most compelling, interesting guys. But uh, And he didn't precisely say it in this way, but my big takeaway from that book was, who do I need to become right now to become attractive to that which I desire? And the root of desire is a Latin word, which means to long for or to wish for. And um, when I really felt into that, I realized when, when Gay, you were talking about a lot of people feel as though they don't deserve it. And the best way to feel like you deserve someone is to really work on yourself to become attractive to that which you desire. It's not the opposite. It's not how can I get something? How can I wish it into existence? It's sort of like, how do I become a magnet for it? And I know uh, there's another Ariel Fordism when she talks about manifesting your soulmate. That's a huge part of the exercise because it's really an act of honesty, luck and honesty are very closely related. So comment. Yes, well, that's what I was talking about, about alignment. When you become Uh aligned with the truth in yourself, you know, like there was a time in my life, early on in my life, where I just didn't answer truthfully. If somebody said, how are you feeling? I would make Mm. a joke about it or turn it aside. And I just didn't have enough self-knowledge in myself to even be able to answer that question honestly but so there's a lot of life that gets better the moment you get into alignment with just knowing how you feel and honoring your feelings 
In fact, a lot of people talk about the 30s, the decade of the 30s as being the decade where you kind of learn to tune into and take responsibility for your feelings rather than projecting them onto other people like a lot of mm -hmm. times we do in our 20s and our teens. Uh, you can't make me do that, you know, that uh, mm -hmm. teenage stance we take. And um, I think that also the act of really digging down and finding what you're doing here. You know, why are you here? What is your chosen life purpose? The moment I locked in on that and realized my life purpose is to expand every day in love and creativity and abundance as I inspire other people to do that also. So once I got clear on that, it made my life so much easier because then I could say no to everything that wasn't in my life purpose because the act of saying no is often one of the most powerful things you can do to manifest things. If you if you get in the habit of saying no to things that are not in your genius zone, lo and behold, you start getting offered more things that are, are in your genius zone. And yeah. so that's my... Um, that's one of my big uh, principles that we teach here is this act of really coming into alignment. And the deeper you can go in knowing your life purpose, the easier things manifest. Yeah. No, I love that, Gain. Thank you for, for, for sharing that. And I completely agree. You know, on my end, um, if I could add to that, maybe Mike, rather than repeat some of that, because I fully agree, is um, I, think, I think too often many of the people that we work with are still caught up in the stories they're telling themselves about their life, the things that they think they need, the things they need, they think they want. To your point earlier, Gay, they haven't practiced self-acceptance yet. They haven't figured that kind of out yet. And um, I think a lot of that drives to community. You know, Mike, we've worked with um, Chip Conley and he talks a lot about community and blue zones and mm -hmm. how how you show up and, and how you accept and how you, the people that you surround yourself with and the choices you make put you in a different stage to be able to receive and be open. And I think about that a lot. And you know, yeah. whether that's a good exercise of sleep or a bunch of stuff. And I talk about that in the book, the ha kind of these healthy habits, but there's a chapter also in understanding that with meditation and gratitude, we also release, you know, uh, compounds into our body that change how we show up, change how we're open, change how we accept. We're not built in this fight or flight moment. We're actually shunting out of that fight or flight into an area that's much more open and re receptive. And when you're receptive, your radar bands are out and you're aware. And if you're aware, you could be open for opportunity where you otherwise were not. And I think too many people self-hijack, uh, if you mm. use that word, they self-corrupt uh, their bodies through whether it's not nourishing them or not practicing things, journaling, gratitude, meditation, mindfulness, good sleep, healthy eating, all the stuff that we know. But when you do that and you can create some clarity it's unbelievable how much more stuff shows up, maybe for the sheer value that you've actually now opened to it rather than closed to it, if that makes sense. And I think there's a lot. That yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, I know we've uh, only got your fine consciousness on rental for a short time today, uh, yeah. Stuart. So we're coming up against uh, when we all need to go do something else. So uh, do you have a final word or two you could uh say that kind of uh, summarizes what you're up to with your book? Well, you know, uh, thank you for asking. And, you know, one of the things I've loved more than anything is um, traveling and doing a masterclass in luck and teaching mm. that. 
I love working with large groups, but I think what's really interesting now is we're seeing so much more demand in the world for corporate and teams to use it. One of the things we built, which is a big part of our practice management, and if you know Peter Drucker from Silicon Valley, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So we actually built a luck assessment, and I partnered with Slim Ishmael from OpenEXO and Singularity. We can now measure luck individually, corporately, and even, believe it or not, at country level right now, some of the countries working with. That provides an incredible framework to actually be able to measure progress towards the goals. That informs the masterclass and the teaching. The challenge I have, Gay, is that I have more demand than I can currently supply into. So I've just decided in starting this year to build out a group of trained trainers I can deliver. And so I'm actually now building out an entire like wider business with formalized people that can get certified in how to lead other groups at facilitators or coaches because um, we're finding so much more interest, especially at the corporate level. How can I get my team to think this way? How can we gel together? You know, I, I have a global leadership institute as well, Mike, you'll know that. And, mm-hmm. um, and through that, we know that this isn't just a personal application, that what this means for culture and engagement and productivity is incredible from a business level. And so for me, and thank you for asking, Gay, I think that's going to be what 2024 is going to look like is how do we get this out much more widely? The book's done very well, but I think now we need more people to, to make it accessible and, and actually coach people in it. So that's what uh, the future looks like right now. Sounds good. That's basically what we've done here. And it's very satisfying then to see people out in the world uh, carrying yeah. the work forward. All right, my man. Well, good being with you, Stuart. It's really great to see what you're doing and uh, hear from you directly. And we wish you a lot of good luck with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. And I, I just to echo back, it's, um, you know, the, the opportunity to spend time with you today, a, a fellow friend who's also scientifically and, and curiously minded trying to figure this out. Thank you for the work you've done. Um, Mike, to you, um, I, I know your energy level and I know how focused you are on how we can help people think differently and take those noticeable significant steps. And it's just been a a real privilege of mine to be able to support you and work with some of your audience members today. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, totally. No, it's totally my pleasure. And um, so what I'll do is make sure I've got links back to you in the show notes. Um, And you can go to litleadership.com. That's at least... um, is that the main site I should send people to or where else? We'll just go straight to theformulaforluck.com. Okay, great. There you go, theformulaforluck.com. And then I'll wrap up this episode by saying, as usual, if you've enjoyed this, share it with someone you know. The best way for podcasts to grow is through the shares. Also like this if you're watching it on YouTube. And then if you provide five stars and a review on iTunes, that's awesome too. So until we meet you in our next episode, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. This is Gay Hendricks, Stuart Lacey, and I'm Mike Koenigs. 